chapter 6. It's a special text for me. I've preached it, I think, three or four times in this church. The last time I preached it was two years ago. So some of you have heard me preach John 6. It's something that is important to me this time of year. Um, John 6 helps me look at Jesus. In the face of that which seems impossible, we can turn and look at Jesus Christ. Um, C.S. Lewis said a wise thing. He said that God's people don't need to be instructed so often as they need to be reminded. You know, we do need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is God. It's what we saw in John chapter 5. He just kept saying it. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I think he said it five different ways. He gave the Pharisees five different witnesses to his deity. So, um, he proves it in John chapter 6, <laughs> beyond any shadow of a doubt, as he feeds probably 10 to 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And then he will walk on water, and then he will give this beautiful discourse in the balance of John chapter 6, 71 verses, where he is saying that I am the bread. He is the bread, meaning He is life. John 6 is powerful. It's as powerful as John 5. And you know how jazzed I got about John 5. But let's, let, me, let me open up this way. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before. You, you may remember that uh, some years ago, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book entitled The Prayer of Jabez. I've actually preached... Uh, using this book, critiquing uh, Wilkinson for what I believe was, was uh, non-biblical perspectives on prayer. But he had, a, he had an illustration in there that I never forgot. Some of you may remember. He took his son to the, to the park one afternoon. There were three slides. Small, medium, and big. And so, Bruce Jr., Bam, right to the small slide, up and down, up and down, up and down. Well, of course, next he wanted to go to the medium slide. So he gets halfway up, he freezes, and he comes back down, right? And then he watches the older kids go down the medium-sized slide for a while. He screws up his courage, boom, up and down, up and down, up and down. Well, you know what he wants to do next, right? He wants to go down the big slide, right? How many of you have heard me tell this story before? Okay. He wants to go down the big slide. He gets a third of the way up. He freezes again, right? So he backs back down. His dad is watching him from a distance. Okay? He says, I, and he thinks he can do it, so he climbs back up again. He freezes again about halfway up, and he says, Daddy, Daddy, come help me, Daddy. I can't do it without you, Daddy. I love this illustration. Do you know why I love this illustration? Because this is me trying to be a Christian. Okay? I cannot do it without my Abba Father. If you're really walking with Christ, I'm not talking about just being a church member going to church when it's convenient. If you're really walking with Christ, if you're really a disciple, if you're serious about it, many times in your life, you will be on, yeah, the big slide and you won't be able to do it without your Father. 
If you're really living your Christianity, you can't do it without God. It's easy to be a church member without God. Millions of people do it. But to be a real Christian, you know, to push the envelope, to, to what, how, does the, how, do, how does it say it in oceans? Walking where feet may fail. Do you have enough faith to walk where your feet may fail and you have to cry out, Abba, Father, help me. I love this illustration. I love, I love this illustration. It's, it's um, one of my favorite of all times. So, we know if we're believers, we'll always, God will always be pushing the envelope of faith for us. Our faith will be growing as we're obeying and trusting the Lord. Right? Why does God always push us to faith? Because you guys know what? Hebrews 11. What? It pleases Him. Faith pleases Him. Of course He's going to push you to faith. Of course He's going to take you to the big slide. Of course you're going to think you can't do it. You're right to think you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You can only do it with your Father. As we saw with Bruce Sr. and Bruce... Junior. So Karen and I have a big slide, right? <laughs> we came here 13 years ago to replant a dead church. Um, and it's been a long shot, really, ever since. I guess the first few years, we were pretty healthy. We were running 100 or so people. Um, not bad for a small international church. But you know, for the last six years, we've been running 30, about mid-30s for six years. I thought this church was going to die six years ago. I really did. I thought it was going to die six years ago. And God just keeps the door open. And I'm happy about that. I love preaching to you. I, I was just thinking as we were worshiping together, I love worshiping with you. I love worshiping with, with uh, you know, 90 nations now at ICM. I love it. But the big, this is a big slide for us because every year a third of you will leave. Right? It happens every year. One-third to one-half of you will just will leave. And we already know. We have diminished numbers. People are already peeling away. This is my big slide, right? <laughs> every summer, you leave, and it hurts, right? I, I remember when we first got here, um, I, I came, became aware that there are always about five to seven empty pulpits in international churches in Europe. And I thought, why are these pulpits empty? Why are... It's because of you. That's why they're empty. Because you leave. Because you come and you worship with us and you make much of Jesus with us. You roll up your sleeves. Some of you go to work. You give here. You, keep, you help... You know, God uses you to keep the door open. We fall in love with you and you leave. You know, it's just part of the deal. It's part of the package. But this is my big slide. Every year, I think. Karen and I, we talk about it. It's just hard. That's why I have to preach John 6 almost every year. <laughs> because what am I supposed to do when it gets hard? What are the disciples going to do? How are we going to feed these guys? Look at Jesus. Right? He knows what to do. God knows what to do with the impossible. So, yeah, you are our big slide. 
You are our big slide. So we know what to do. We know that we are to look at Jesus Christ. We need our Father's help always. And if you're if you've been a Christian very long, you understand that you need your Father's help always. So I may need this message more than you today because we're in that, you know, Exodus part of the year, but I know you need it too. I know there are impossible things in your life. I know there are difficulties in your life. I know there are challenges in your life. What are you supposed to do with it? Look at Jesus. Jesus knows what to do with the impossible. He knows what to do with the impossible. John chapter 6. Yeah, John 5. I loved it. And I got so messed up last week. And it's Orazio and Josh and Mia and Fede and Chinelo and Elijah's fault. They led us, and they led us well tonight as well. But they, I don't know, they sing that song, Great I Am, and it makes me nuts, right? God, our God is God, and He's awesome. And I love to sing His praises. And then you realize this awesome God who has ruled for an eternity is in the body. His name is Jesus Christ. He's walking the planet. He's sacrificing Himself for me. Now, if you can't get excited about this, you don't have, you're not understanding what the Bible's saying. And so I was, I was messed up for most of last week. <laughs> I, was just, I was just worshiping, man. I was just worshiping. So John 5, I loved it. And as I said in John 6, Jesus leaves no doubt. He is God. He's the Creator God. He creates bread from barley that never grew, and He distributes fish from fish that never swam. You guys know what this is, right? It's just fiat creation. It's ex nihilo. It's out of nothing. Jesus just creates. He's the Creator. It's one thing we learn here in John chapter 6. So, just to give you a little background, a little context um, from the other Gospels, Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Uh, the disciples have just returned uh, from their first preaching tour, and Jesus desires to get away and spend some time with His guys. Despite knowing that most of these people will reject Him the very next day, despite the fact that the disciples encouraged Him to send these people away, despite the fact that disciples are bone-tired, Matthew's uh, gospel tells us that Jesus felt compassion for them. So that brings us to John chapter 5, verse 5. Jesus turns to Philip. And what does he say? What, is, what, is, what does Jesus say to Philip? Someone tell me. He turns to Philip, and what does Jesus say? Everybody's shy. He says, where are what? We. Now, why does God say, where are we going to get bread? Why would God say we? Of course, we know the text. The text tells us Jesus knows exactly what He's going to do. But isn't it an awesome thing? God says to His people, to His men, where are we? going to get the bread. 
you know, God brings us up into what He's going to do, right? Does God need us? No. Not at all. But does He use us? Absolutely. Where are we going to get the bread? I love this about the Lord. He brings us up into what He is going to do. Did you notice? Jesus says, where are we going to buy the bread that these may eat? Verse 6, of course, He was testing Him. For Jesus knew what He was intending to do. And how does Philip answer? Philip, he answers the wrong question. Philip tells Jesus how much it's going to cost. God didn't say how much is it going to cost. Jesus said, how are we going to do this? Well, what's the answer? You know the answer. All of you Christians sitting out there, what's the answer? How are we going to do this? What's the answer? You! I don't know, but you're going to do it. You're God. You do whatever you please. That's why I read the psalm. You do whatever you please. You're the Creator. Jesus is the answer. Some of you are dealing with things and you're trying to deal with it on your own and in your own understanding, in your own wisdom. Jesus is the answer. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is... The answer. Philip says it's going to cost seven months' wages. That's not what God said. He says seven months' wages, 200 denarii, is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive even a little. So Jesus is going to test the faith of Philip and all of the other guys. You know this always happens, right? God's going to test your faith too. Your faith too. And, and if you've been a Christian very long, you, you, you already know this and you have experienced this. He will test your faith. It's what He does. It's not that He needs to know if it's genuine. You need to know if it's genuine. You need to know if you're simply caught up in church and religion. You need to know if you really trust Him and believe Him and will risk everything for Him. You need to know that. If you're deceived of simply being a, you know, churchgoer, and I, you know, I want you to come to church, but some people, that's where they stop. They never, well, they never go out into the world and obey Christ. So he's testing. It's the pattern, it's the pattern of the Bible, right? God tested Abraham, right? Do you remember? God tested Abraham. And there was a ram in the bush. Okay. Let me just say it. When you trust God, there'll be a ram in the bush. Amen? Oh, wait a minute. When you trust God and you... I left out something. When you trust God and you obey God, there will be a ram in the bush. You say, Jim, well, I feel like the Lord's calling me to do something risky. I know He will. It's what He does. But He'll meet you there. And He'll make provision for you there. It's what God's done for Karen and I for 13 years. Really, I think I told you, since about 8, uh, 
this church has really been a miracle every day. On paper, it makes no sense. But God just keeps doing it. He just keeps doing it. You remember Moses. God gave Moses an impossible task. Moses t trusted the Lord and he obeyed. You remember Gideon, outnumbered 450 to 1. <laughs> Gideon obeyed. He trusted the Lord. One of my favorite that some people are not familiar with is Jehoshaphat. Hopelessly outnumbered. God said, just go out there and look at them. Go out there and face the enemy. Put the choir in the front. Just go out and face them. And sing my praises, right? So we'll put Horatio and Josh and, and Chinelo out front, Elijah. And God routes the enemy. It was a test of trust. You're, this will perpetually happen in your life if you are a Christian. He will test your faith. It's the big slide. He will always take you to the big slide. Do you want to stay on the small slide? No! You can't settle down here with the easy stuff. You can't play with, you know, the, the three-year-olds. You need to grow up as a Christian, be mature, and get on the big slide where it's scary sometimes. Right? But you don't have to worry because your Abba Father is with you. <laughs> I love this analogy. God's going to take you to the big slide. He will. And that, can I give you a testimony as an old man? The big slide's a lot of fun. I know you hear me say it a lot. The big slide is fun because God shows up. <laughs> it's fun. It's just a lot of fun. God knows what to do with the impossible. I like what John MacArthur says. He says, we tend to assign our own feebleness to God. It's true, isn't it? God puts a hard thing in front of us and we're looking in the mirror. You're not supposed to look in the mirror. You're supposed to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is teaching His men not to look at circumstance, but to look at Him. If we're walking and abiding in His Word, if we're obeying Him, we will be on the big slide, perpetually on the big slide. We'll be like Bruce Jr. We'll be crying out for our Father. Daddy, it's too big for me. Come slide with me, Daddy. And I didn't tell you the end of the story. You know how it ends. What happens? What does Bruce Sr. do? He climbs up that ladder. He scoops up his boy. They get up on the slide, and you know, with uh, Junior between Senior's legs, and down the slide they go. And I love this part, laughing all the way. You know how you know when you're obeying God? There will be joy in it. You say, Jim, I don't have much joy. I suspect you've left off obedience at some point. I don't, and that's not some haphazard. I've been doing this for a while. I know why Christians lose their joy. I know. You want to laugh all the way down? You want to be on the big slide? You want to push the envelope? You want to laugh all the way down? <laughs> Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. And you will feel, as Eric 
little says in yeah, the chariots of fire, you will feel, someone tell me, when you obey the Lord, you will, when you do what God's called and designed you to do, you will feel the pleasure of God. You will feel it. So, God's about to blow up Philip's heart and all of the rest of the disciples. It's going to be one awesome day. He's not just going to fill their stomachs, he's going to fill their hearts. This is what God does. He's going to fill their hearts with, with joy. So, Jesus gets the glory. His men get the joy. This is always God's equation. He always gets the glory. We get the joy. And we will get the joy for all eternity. So like, it's like when, when you guys leave, we know it's God's purpose. It's for the glory of God. It's for the thing He has for you to do in the next place. And ultimately, we get the joy because <laughs> we had the, the privilege to, to, to serve you and love you and minister to you for a short time. Yeah, you know, we have to cry sometimes, but that's just how it is. Sometimes when you're a Christian, you cry. Sometimes it's hard. It's what happens. You know that great song, American artist Twyla Parrish, she sings a song, Do I trust you, Lord? She says, I will believe you even when I must cry. I, just, I won't ask you to raise your hands. How many of you will believe God when you must cry? When you must weep? When you must mourn? When you must grieve? Will you still trust God? Will you still believe God? Will you still obey God? Will you still worship God? I've been doing this a while. I've seen many people, when it gets hard, they just walk away. I've seen pastors walk away. Okay? What will you do? The trial's coming. I've told you. The trial is coming. We're not supposed to be surprised when the trial comes. We're supposed to be ready when the trial comes. And we're supposed to make much of Christ in it. So back to Philip. He's about to have a really cool day. Philip does the math. It doesn't look good. Seven months wages. Right? Seven months wages. But I love verse 6. This is all a test for Philip. For God knows what He's intending to do. Right? <laughs> doesn't He always? If you know the Lord, you understand this. God knows what He's going to do. You don't know what He's going to do. You almost never know what He's going to do. He doesn't confide in you. But He knows what He's going to do. From eternity past, He's always known what He was going to do to assuage my emotional you know, difficulty as I let people go, and Karen's as well. He knows what He's going to do, and of course, our satisfaction is God alone. Our satisfaction is who He is to us. So, I don't know who the next Elijah is. I don't know where he's going to come from. I just know he's coming. And for all those who have already left, and for those of you who will be leaving at some point, God knows what he's intending to do. Do you believe it? 
Will you live like you believe it? Say, Jim, I haven't seen it yet. Well, what do you think faith is? <laughs> you know? What is the definition of faith? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. Philip hasn't seen, hasn't seen anything yet. He's just got God in the... God's in his calculus, right? God's in the calculus. That's all we need to know and understand. So verse 8 and 9, you heard it read. Andrew says, hey, we got this kid here. He's got five loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many? Philip looks at the situation. He says, it will take too much. This is impossible. Andrew looks at the situation. He says, it's impossible. We have too little. Philip and Andrew are looking at the same situation. They both uh, concur that this is impossible. Wrong answer! <laughs> right? <laughs> Wrong answer! Yeah, Karen and I should have left this church in, yeah, in at least 2010. It, it's been touch and go since 2010. But look at us now. 2017! Seven years later! He just keeps doing what He purposes to do. I promise you on paper, you, wouldn't ha you would not be in this job. You wouldn't take this job. Okay? If somebody offered you my job, you wouldn't take it. You look at the paper, you look out on paper, you say, well, yikes! You only do this job if you love... Yeah, if you're looking at God. So, it's our big slide. He's testing us. He's challenging us to look at Him. Philip looks at the crowd and says it's impossible. Andrew looks at the loaves and the fish. He says it's impossible. Jesus is forcing them to look at Him. It's what He's doing in your life as well. So I want to ask you, is your Christianity stuck on the small slide? Are you, are you down there where it's real comfortable and real doable and real manageable? You, you're just hanging out down there you know, with all the three and four year olds? Or are you up here with those who are maturing? The warriors, the spiritual warriors, the sons and daughters of the King who are, you know, who are equipped and armed and ready to do spiritual battle. Are you here or are you here? It's one of the, I think one of the questions that arises from this text. You know, if you're looking at the hard stuff, you're always going to shrink back. If you're looking at God, you can go forward. You can go. So, Philip says it's impossible to take too much. Wrong! Jesus is God! Right? Amen? Jesus is God! He does whatever He pleases! When he gets ready to turn out the lights, he'll turn them out. And I'm talking about the sun. <laughs> when he gets ready to wrap it all up and bring it to an end, he will. He's God. Andrew says it's impossible. We have too little. Wrong answer. Jesus is God. And it was in the music. He's our friend. Okay? He's not just... He's not, he's not simply our God. He's our friend. It's amazing. You've got to love this little kid, right? 
five loaves and two fish. This is a joke. But what's the lesson we learn here? <laughs> Bring your joke to God and see what He does with it, right? Bring your small offering to God and watch God do amazing things with it, right? Five loaves, two fish, not going to go very far. Wrong in the hands of God. He feeds probably... The, the Gospels talk about men... 5,000 men, but the other Gospels mention the women and children. There are ten to 15,000 people here. It's a joke. This offering is a joke. But God multiplies it. You know, uh, I, I know that some of you are you're, you're, you're students. You have no money. I get that. But every once in a while, I, I, I don't ever watch the offering basket. It's not something I do, but I, I'll see a student you know, throw in a small amount of money. They may not even be able to afford it, but they do it. God does big stuff with our small offerings. This is a great lesson for us, beloved. This is a great lesson for us. Verse 10, Jesus said, Okay, what do you think the disciples are thinking when Jesus says this? Jesus says, have the people sit down. What do you think they're thinking? They're thinking, wrong answer. Wrong answer. He's about to do something awesome, <laughs> right? I think maybe they're thinking about the water to wine thing. Um, maybe, he, maybe when he healed the... the the royal official's son. I think they're thinking, yeah, wrong answer. Oops. He's about to do something amazing. Jesus says, have the people sit down. And what the, there's another great lesson for us here. The other Gospels tell us how Jesus distributes the, the food. How does He do it? How, do, how is the food distributed? Jesus is just creating fish and bread from nothing. He's doing all the heavy lifting, but, but how, how is He distributing the food? The disciples, right? This is you. <laughs> right? This is you. This is me. They, they didn't have much faith, but at least they're obeying. Jesus is giving them the, the provision and they're, they're, they're distributing it to the people. They're part of this. A very small part, mind you. You know, I realize I... Uh, my part in the kingdom is a very small part, but I'm happy to do my part. It's a small part. God does all the heavy lifting always, right? But He lets you, who He doesn't need, He lets you participate. Why? For the joy. For the joy. Can you imagine the joy of the disciples as they're just watching God make food and, and they're... Can you imagine? And they just keep coming back and there's more and they keep coming back and there's more? <laughs> yeah, this is a great lesson for us. This was a great lesson for us. So Matthew 14, 19 tells us that Jesus did this miracle through the hands of His disciples. Five loaves, two fish, let's just say 15,000 people. And then the text says in verse 11, oh, they got as much as they wanted. 
It says in verse 12, they were filled. Oh, what happened? Verse 13, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. <laughs> okay. Why do you think there were 12 baskets of leftovers? Was this just an oversight on God's part? Did He make too much food? Or is He teaching somebody something? Each disciple has to walk off with a basket. Right? And maybe never again will they doubt who Jesus Christ is. Maybe never again will they doubt what He's capable of. <laughs> Every disciple had to pick up a basket and walk off with it. So, He doesn't want them to forget who He is and what He can do. This is why I love to preach John 6 in June or July every year. Because I, I'm thinking ICM, it doesn't make any sense on paper. And then the Lord rebukes me. He said, man, Jim, you're like Philip. You're crunching the numbers. Why are you crunching the numbers? Why are you looking at the numbers, Jim? Why don't you look at me? I do whatever I please in heaven and earth. Look at me, Jim. If I want to keep the doors open until I come back, I'll do it. There's this joy and this carefree thing about trusting God like this. I hope that this is part of your life. God's never going to tell you what He's going to do but here's one thing we know from this text. He knows what He's intending to do. He knows what He is intending to do. So, this time of year, God comes to us and He says, Jim, how are we going to keep the church going for another year? And I say, I have no idea. But I know you know. <laughs> right? I know you know. And he does know. So this is my annual test of trust. And this will be my 14th test of trust. And all I can say to you as an old man, God is faithful. And I can tell you as an old man, the big slide is way more fun than the small slide. Because you know what happens when your Abba Father scoops you up <laughs> and you start down the big slide? Here's what happens. You ask Karen, she'll tell you. You will laugh all the way down. Some of you are afraid to believe God huge. You'd be lying to me if you told me something different. You're cutting yourself off from unspeakable joy. You're cutting yourself off from deep and profound intimacy with God. Don't shrink back. Don't settle. Believe. Trust. Obey. 
Jesus is the answer. Whatever your impossible situation is, Jesus is the answer. He has the answer. It's not impossible. He knows what to do with the impossible. So, I love John 6. And you know what Jesus is going to do next week? (laughs) He's going to send His men into a storm and then He's going to walk out on the sea and collect them. And then He's going to talk about being the bread of life for about 40 verses. Maybe 45. And I told you, I've been telling you all the way through the Gospel of John, the miracles aren't about the miracles. The miracles are about Christ. You're supposed to see the sufficiency and the beauty and the glory and the divinity of Christ in the miracles. The miracles are supposed to drive you to Him. We're not supposed to just say, oh, He's a great miracle worker. We're not supposed to be amazed at the miracles. Of course we are. We're human beings with finite ability. But the point of the miracles is to see who He is and He will say to us for the next three or four weeks, I am the bread of life. It's what the miracle's about. It's not to entertain you or to feel, or fill the bellies of, of those men and women who were there that day. It's about saying, I am the bread of life. I'll satisfy your soul forever. That's what this is about. So I hope you'll study John 6 with me. I love John 6. It gives me goosebumps, man. Jesus says some amazing things in John 6 about your salvation and about mine. And oh, guess what? It's secure in God. It's a God thing. Your salvation is a God thing. We're going to see it. We're going to worship. We're going to be in awe. I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise You. We love You. We know You do whatever You please. We know nothing is impossible with You. We know that You are God. We know that You are Almighty. We know that You are Sovereign. Oh Lord, I pray that we would incorporate these biblical truths into our lives and into our deeds. I pray that we would be moving and pushing to the big slide. That we won't be content to hang around with the unbelievers and the nominal Christians and the immature Christians. Father, I pray that we'll be pushing that envelope, that our hands will be open, that You'll have full access to all of our lives, that we'll be ready to go up the big ladder and down the big slide, for we know You will be with us, and we know it will be pure joy. Lord God, thank You for the Gospel of John. Thank You for this breathtaking picture of Jesus Christ. We thank You, Father. We thank You. We give all praise, glory, and honor to Him, to the God-man, to the God-man on the cross, and to the God-man in the grave, to the God-man who has risen and is now reigning. We give all praise and glory and honor. To him. It's in his name that we pray. 
Amen. Can we close with that?